Fighting for the Underdog, the podcast that follows the tales of compassion and bravery of animal rights activists all over the world. My name is Hannah Grant, and I'm the Administrative Assistant and Social Outreach Director at the Animal Law Firm. I will be taking over as a guest host for our lead attorney and founder, Christina Bergson, in order to create more content for our lovely viewers. As I interviewed these amazing people, I was truly inspired by the common theme of hope that they give to underdogs everywhere. They taught me that sometimes the greatest power an underdog possesses is never giving up hope. Hi, everybody. Thanks for joining us. Today, we have Brandon Bowles, Development Manager at Porchlight Family Justice Center, or FJC, in Lakewood, Colorado. Porchlight provides comprehensive legal, emotional, and critical supportive services for survivors of domestic violence, sexual assault, child abuse, and abuse of at-risk individuals, elder abuse, and human trafficking. I'm very excited to have Brandon on as a guest today to talk about the amazing work that they do. So thanks for being our guest today, Brandon. Hey, thank you so much, Hannah. I really appreciate it, and I'm excited to be here. Awesome. Well, we can just dive right in then. Can you tell us a little bit more about your organization and what you do there? Absolutely. Um, so Porchlight is a family justice center, um, as you mentioned, and the family justice center model really seeks to bring together all of the essential services for survivors of all of those types of crimes that we just mentioned. Um, and so Porchlight recently opened. Uh, we opened our doors in February of 2021. Um, so we are relatively new to the community, um, and um, I am our development manager at Porchlight, um, which is something we were really excited to actually uh, be able to have as a position. Um, we historically have relied on uh, volunteers to do any kind of grants and support with fundraising, uh, but now we were able to hire on this position recently. Um, so I joined us in April of two, uh, 2023 um, and previously was kind of helping out on some of our volunteer committees with Porchlight. So it feels like it's been a little bit longer than that that I've been with them, but really happy to be here now. Um, and really as a development manager, you know, I view that role very much as um, just getting to be Porchlight's cheerleader and talk about the amazing work that we do and then also hope that folks are interesting in, or interested in supporting us in that work. Okay, awesome. Yeah. And I know that we said it's a family justice center for people who might not be familiar. Can you explain what your mission is at Porchlight? Absolutely. So at Porchlight, our mission is to bring together essential services for victims, survivors, and their children to create a positive pathway forward and to foster public safety. So essentially, to break that down a little bit, what we seek to do is to bring together all of the resources that someone who has had one of these experiences might need in the aftermath. So typically, you know, that might look like needing to go to the courthouse to seek a protection order. That might mean trying to find a safe place to stay. That might mean um, getting medical care for an injury or something like that. That might mean needing help with locating basic resources or, you know, um, getting some therapy support for yourself or your kiddos. Um, and so historically, we had really amazing services in our community, especially here in Jefferson County. So for anyone who is not familiar, uh, Jefferson County is kind of the western suburbs of the Denver metro area and goes into the mountains. So we do have a rural component, um, but a large bit of our population really is the western suburbs of Denver, which is growing um, really quickly as Denver grows. We kind of spills over into Jefferson County. Um, here in Jefferson County, we have amazing resources. We have 
Um, you know, things like Foothills Animal Shelter, which I know I think was a recent guest of yours. Um, we have the family tree to help with all sorts of different um, needs. However, the difficulty was all of these different resources were in different spots, right? So you have someone over on this part of town, someone over here in Golden, someone closer to Denver. And transportation is also a huge barrier for a lot of folks. So, you know, while these resources were there and doing amazing work, Porchlight really seeks to make it easier to access all of those services and to get all of those resources in one place. Okay, great. Well, you kind of talked about your role at Porchlight a little bit, um, but could you kind of talk about how you found yourself working in victim advocacy? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for that question. Um, so my role into victim advocacy was uh, a little, it's been a, a journey um, and I've loved every bit of it. Uh, and a lot of learning, but essentially I, I've always had, um, you know, I think an interest in supporting other folks. So that was kind of a natural fit. Um, but in college, I uh, went and did like marketing, communications background, media. Um, to be honest with you, I had dreams of going and working in Nashville and being part of Carrie Underwood's entourage. Um, <laughs> obviously that I had quite a dramatic shift uh, once I got to college. I was from a small rural town in Montana um, and then went to college in Seattle uh, and really, you know, moving to Seattle in such a different environment. I really learned a lot about myself and the world. And um, I pursued kind of doing marketing um, and I worked doing marketing um, for the university, actually, after I graduated for a few years. Um, and it was great because I loved the school and everything. Um, but every day I was sitting in a cubicle, driving a parking garage, sitting in traffic. And it kind of felt like the movie office space a little bit. And I just knew I needed a little more passion in what I was going to dedicate my, you know, eight hours a day of my life or more to. I wanted to to do something um, a little different. Um, and so I started volunteering um, at the Seattle Police Department as their victim support team. Um, and so that team uh, worked with folks in Seattle on scene with the police. So they kind of showed up as that secondary support that was not a police officer, that was just a community support and advocate to help navigate those immediate resources. So we're talking like within 24 hours or less of an incident. So where are you going to stay right now? Where can you go right now? What do you need in this moment? And then connecting them to longer term services. Um, so I, I did that role um, and really enjoyed my time there. I mean, it kind of inspired me to uh, get my paralegal certificate to um, support folks in the legal process a little bit more. Um, so after I left Seattle, I moved to Colorado in 2017 and began working at Family Trees Legal Advocacy Program, which is uh, another resource that is here in Jefferson County serving survivors of domestic violence. Um, and in that role, I was the, the Legal Advocacy Program Director. So we worked to support getting people protection orders, um, filing divorce and custody cases in the Jefferson County Courthouse. Um, and that is actually now a service that's on site at Porchlight. So that was kind of my nexus to finding Porchlight was working for one of those partner agencies that now does their services out of Porchlight. Um, but uh, after working in that role, I spent some time at COVA, the Colorado Organization for Victim Assistance, uh, doing case management for human trafficking survivors, um, and then made my way over to Porchlight. Um, also, I think uh, not dissimilar to many of my amazing colleagues in the field, I think um, I also have a lived experience with some of these things. And so I know that is sometimes a motivating factor um, to, to kind of get involved in this work as well. Absolutely. Well, thank you for sharing. I know I just wanted to kind of um, get an idea of your background and also for others who might be interested 
to know that there's not just like one straight path to get into working with these kinds of things. So um, absolutely. Thanks for sharing. Okay, awesome. Well, I kind of want to get into the heart of the organization a little bit, talk about some education components and all that. So um, I was hoping you could kind of cover the topic of domestic violence and just explain more in depth what it is for people who might not be as familiar. Absolutely. Um, So domestic violence is essentially, if I could just, you know, make the simplest version, which it's a very hard thing to simplify in any way, shape or form, but really power and control or is really at the heart of, of domestic violence and a lot of other, you know, of these similar experiences. Um, stalking is, is also a good example of, of power and control dynamics. Um, so domestic violence is a pattern of power and control dynamics Um, which can include physical abuse. It can include um, things like, you know, name calling. It can include manipulation. It can include financial control. Um, Any power and control that one partner in a romantic or intimate partner relationship is placing over another um, as a part of a pattern to maintain power and control in that relationship. Okay. And then sometimes it's hard for people to identify. Um, So I was hoping you could also talk about the different types of abuse. um, So people are just more familiar with that. Yeah, absolutely. So domestic violence can look different for everyone in every relationship. Um, But at its core, there are, you know, um, a lot of similar elements. So there is um, isolation is a big tool that can be used um, by folks that are perpetrating perpetrating power and control over someone else. Um, so really trying to, you know, let's say you have a best friend and that best friend is your best supporter and probably going to be the person to say, hey, this partner isn't treating you right. Well, usually the person using power and control wants to cut that person out. And it might be a family member, it might be a best friend, it might be a coworker, um, but there is, you know, usually that pattern of, of isolation. Um, honestly, one of the best tools I think um, that explains the different types of power and control and something that honestly was very eye-opening for me um, is what's called the power and control wheel. Um, and this is something that was developed by the Domestic Abuse Intervention Project in Minnesota. Um, but it's kind of become a tool of best practice in the field of helping folks identify all the different components. Um, so there is a great visual of this on the hotline.org's website, um, which is the National Domestic Violence Hotline um, uh, page. Um, so if you Google that, you can find the power and control wheel. And essentially, it shows all of those different types of abuse kind of broken down and gives some examples. So just to, to give you a visual here, there's eight different pieces of the pie, essentially all under the circle of power and control. So some of the examples here would be using intimidation. Um, So, you know, trying to make someone afraid by punching holes in the wall or saying, you know, I'm going to harm this person, showing weapons. So those are some extreme versions. Um, You know, folks might use emotional abuse as another piece of the pie. Um, There's where gaslighting is often kind of used in this category, making people think that, you know, they aren't remembering things correctly, kind of manipulating their their emotional well-being. Um, we talked about isolation. That's another piece of the pie. Um, minimi- minimizing, denying, and blaming is a big one. Um, so not taking light, you know, if someone does say, hey, I'm not okay with how you treated me, 
um, trying to shift responsibility, maybe saying, you know, well, I only did this to you because you did X to me. So that kind of swing back and forth. Um, if there are children in a relationship, unfortunately, we do see that a lot of um, children, you know, they can use children as a tool of manipulation. So, you know, threatening to take the children away. I'm going to call CPS, you know, on, on you if you do these things, um, you know, and then there's also kind of using economic abuse. So making someone get a job or giving them, you know, limited access to the money that they've earned, um, you know, putting someone on an allowance, things like that are often part of power and control. Um, and then there's also what they have listed here is using male privilege. So trying to really, you know, in a male female or male relationship dynamic, you know, really trying to capitalize on that role of, you know, I'm in charge, you have to do all the cooking and cleaning, um, things like that. So that's another piece of that pie. And then all of that is encompassed within physical and sexual violence as well, which are some of those extreme examples, right? Um, and then the other important thing to, to know about power and control in this wheel and kind of domestic violence in general is that it always occurs on a spectrum as well, right? So on the one end of the extreme end of the spectrum, we have things like domestic violence homicides. That's like worst case scenario. But then we also have things that show up really early on in a relationship. Um, and so there, there's a spectrum. And so sometimes folks might say, well, I'm maybe, you know, yeah, but I, I you know, he isn't using physical violence or this person isn't using physical violence against me. Um, so it's not that, you know, but it's really important to understand the complex dynamics that, that go into power and control and how that can show up in different ways. Um, I think another, you know, big common misconception that, that folks experience um, is things like, well, they're such a nice person. We love them. We went to dinner with them last night and they were so nice to us. Or, you know, they, they show up as a different person in different relationships, um, you know, really. And, and that is because if someone was abusive to every single person they came into contact with, they wouldn't make it very far. So in order for them to maintain that power and control, they have to be selective where they are going to display those things because folks that use power and control are usually pretty smart. Um, and so that is something else that, that does come up quite a bit. Um, so that's that's a, a brief kind of overview. I know it's a very complex topic and there are so many great resources online. So I definitely encourage anyone who you know wants to dive into this more to look at places like the hotline or the National Network to End Domestic Violence. Those are some great resources um, that have some great kind of 101 explanations and videos and stuff that can help uh, kind of explain some of this as well. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm so glad that you mentioned all the different online resources that people can check out. Um, obviously, the way that I found you, I was hoping that you could also touch on, um, I know you talked about how children can be a factor. Can you also mention how pets can play into um, different types of abuse as well? Absolutely. And I, yes, I'm so glad that you brought that up because really, you know, you could use kids and pets almost interchangeably um, for some folks. I know for myself, um, I, I do not have children, um, but I do have a dog that. I won't even go to work without. <laughs> she comes to work with me almost every day. Um, and, you know, when you think about trying to maintain power control over someone, often you're trying to find the thing that means the most to them, right? The thing that they know you can't live without, um, because that's a very easy way to make sure that you're going to continue to do the things that they want you to do in the way you want them done, essentially, um, is by threatening to harm that pet, threatening to get that pet taken away. Um, we often know that pets become victims of domestic violence as well. Um, 
there is, uh, I believe in the presentation um, that we gave recently, we played a clip that was developed by um, the Australian Animal Welfare Group. And I don't remember their name, so I want to give them credit for that. Um, but they, they had a tagline for a really informative video that said, when animals are abused, people are at risk. When people are abused, animals are at risk. Um, and we really do find that to be very true um, that, you know, if someone is has has gone on that spectrum, right, to the point where maybe they're harming the dog in bursts of anger, they are, you know, going to do something to the cat, they are going to put your tortoise outside when it's too cold, you know, any number of things that might apply to your your pet relationship, but just that's kind of another tool that folks using power and control will often target um, things that mean the most to you, which is often pets. Mm -hmm, absolutely. Well, obviously, you cover all of these topics at Porchlight and have so many different services. Does it cost money to be a guest at Porchlight? No, uh, that is a, a great thing that, you know, if I could wave a big banner for folks uh, to to um, when they're talking about Porchlight, that would definitely be up there is that there's no cost for services at Porchlight. Um, and uh, actually, if it's okay to, to, to speak a little bit more um, to the history of Porchlight, because that, that is kind of part of our history is, is making sure that it was a no charge service. Yes, absolutely. How did you get started and what was the process like? Yeah, so um, Porchlight was uh, founded very recently. So we got our nonprofit um our nonprofit 501c3 status in 2018, and then we're able to actually open our doors in 2021. Um, and this was all started um, through our, our founder, who's now our executive director, Candace Coolidge. Um, and she is um, just a really a light in this world. She's a wonderful person to work with every day, um, but also just has an amazing passion for this work. Um, and all of that passion comes from um, her experience, uh, she worked for 16 years as a prosecutor here in Jefferson County in the first judicial district attorney's office, um, primarily in the special victims unit. So she was doing, um, you know, crimes against children, domestic violence, um, some animal abuse cases would be on her, her list occasionally. Um, and she found herself, you know, kind of, as I mentioned, being folks come to her and saying, well, you know, I really need to get out of this situation, but I need to find an attorney um, that can help me with a divorce. So Candace would say, hey, well, there's this great resource, Family Tree. They have a legal advocacy program. You can go to Family Tree, fill out an application, um, tell your story to them. They'll get you set up with, with support and resources. And then, you know, the person says, well, I also, you know, after what I experienced, I have an injury and I need to go get some medical care, but maybe I don't have insurance. And so she said, well, hey, check out Stride Medical Center. They're over here. You can fill out an application. You can tell what's going on. Hopefully they can help you out and so on and so forth. That same kind of pattern with a lot of different resources that folks really do that are critical when you are experiencing one of these things in your life. Um, and so she then was able to go to a conference in San Diego. Um, it's called the Alliance for Hope Conference. Um, and she toured the very first family justice center that opened in the United States, which was in 2002. Um, that was in downtown San Diego. Um, and she toured the center and just came back to Colorado thinking, what in the world are we doing without one of these? Like, this is a life-saving center. This is important. And more importantly, she thought our community was ready for it. She said, you know, it, family justice centers um, have to be community-led, has to be a collaboration. Um, and so she presented this idea to a bunch of folks in the community. And ultimately, the district attorney said, okay. I'm going to pull you out of court and your new 
our job is to get this uh, to get the center open and running. Um, so in 2000, uh, you know, after that, in 2016, Candace really just started getting folks together, collaborating, saying, you know, if you were to provide services at a center like this, what would you need to have on site? What would that have to look like for you, for this staff? Um, you know, and so once everyone was able to come together, um, we opened our doors in 2021, um, as I mentioned, um, and that was kind of our, our history. And, and Candace's philosophy, too, was that we wanted to make it as accessible as possible for folks. So um, number one, we have it's a 16,000 square foot center. We used to be a car museum, which is fun. Um, and we're located in Lakewood, uh, right near Foothills Animal Shelter. We're right off um, Highway 6. Um, we are right near the RTD bus line. There's a light rail station a couple blocks away. So it's a very accessible location. Um, and in that location, in that 16,000 square feet of space, we have over 21 on-site community partners that come together um, to provide resources. Um, and we walk or work on a walk-in basis. Um, so it's really important um, to kind of uh, our philosophy that when someone decides that they need support, that they can walk in and get that support rather than, you know, making an appointment for three days from now. And then maybe three days rolls around and, you know, they have some hesitations or it just doesn't feel right. And, and, you know, kind of that moment is gone. So we really want to make sure that as much as possible within the limitations of staffing and all of that, that we can provide that walk-in support between um, in our hours when we're open for walk-ins um, to anyone that needs that. And also um, the other component that that, I, that you mentioned that's so important is that it is there's no charge for any service provided at Porchlight. Um, so that is kind of part of our structure and kind of our partnerships is that we provide this space free of charge to our partners so they can provide that service at no cost to the guests that walk into Porchlight. Um, so those 21 on-site partners really are the ones that are performing all these different services and a bunch of different aspects. Um, but if folks are coming into Porchlight, they aren't going to leave with a bill. We aren't going to, you know, charge them for any of the services that we have on-site. Okay, great. Yeah, that's incredible. I hope that more services like this and organizations like this open up throughout the country because I, I think it's just incredible. But Okay, well, what does it typically look like when people come to Porchlight? Can you walk us through the process of, of checking in and getting help? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so at Porchlight, as I mentioned, we are a, uh, a old previous car museum. So it's kind of unassuming from the outside. Um, but once you come into Porchlight, it, it really changes. It's a very warm and welcoming space. Um, we call everyone that comes to Porchlight a guest. Um, and that's really important to us because, you know, in, in this work, um, we have law enforcement on site, we have attorneys on site, we have therapists on site, um, you know, a whole different group of people doing different types of work. Um, and they, they have different, you know, things they might utilize or might say. So might be a client, might be a victim, it might be a survivor. And it's really important for us at Porchlight just to remove the reason someone is there um, and just call them a guest. So we have a hospitality model. So anyone that comes into the doors is a, a guest of Porchlight. So if you hear me say guest, um, really just referring to anyone that's coming to seek services or support at Porchlight. Um, so when we do have a guest come in, so there's a lot of different ways that folks might find their way to Porchlight. Um, also, I feel like that's part of my job is to help increase that. So um, increase just the knowledge and awareness of, of our resources. So once folks are aware and they come to Porchlight um, and they walk in, what's really important to us as well, that it's a seamless experience as much as possible. So when you come to Porchlight, you're going to fill out one form um, that goes to all of our different partner agencies. 
so even recently I was at the dentist's office and, you know, you walk in and you get a clipboard and they want a lot of information. And I was like, I just, I'm just here for a teeth cleaning, um, you know, and, and then to even put a lens on top of that, that it's a traumatic experience that you're there for. And you're having to put down information such as that person's name, your income, your address, the ages of your children, your, you know, all these different things. If you have to do that for every single service you're going to, that in itself is just tedious and burdensome and stressful on top of an already stressful situation. So fortunately, we have one form, it's one page um, that we have folks fill out and then everyone that they elect to have access to that form can. So that way it reduces their, their need to fill out all these different forms. Um, then someone would basically have, um, once we screen to make sure that they are a good fit for our services. So we serve folks who, um, have experienced, um, all those things that you mentioned, domestic violence, sexual assault, child abuse, stalking, um, human trafficking, elder abuse. And, you know, so really there has to be a nexus to one of those things that someone's currently experiencing one of those things. Um, and that the person that is causing them harm is not on site, or there's not a conflict of interest. So we want to make sure that everyone receiving services or everyone coming to Porchlight for support is safe doing so. So as long as you know that person um, causing harm isn't on site, we can invite them into the safe wait area. So we have kind of a, a, an initial lobby and then a different space that our guests would come into that's a little bit more of like a living room. So there's coffee, there's tea, there's water, there's coloring pages, there's a big TV, some comfy couches, and just a really kind of a calming space. Um, and so you might be coming to Porchlight or some, a guest might come to Porchlight, like I mentioned, for a lot of different reasons, but the number one, um, thing that we see on our exit surveys is that folks find us through word of mouth. So a friend or a family member that's supporting them said, Hey, I found this place. Like, let's go check it out. Um, or someone else that maybe receives service as a guest is able to talk to a family member that also is going through something and can, you know, refer them. Um, so when you walk into Porchlight, you don't have to have a case. There does not have to be any law enforcement involvement. There does not have to be a court case. There does not have to be any, it doesn't have to be reported. It could be the first time someone's ever talking about it. And it's all confidential as well. Um, so just for example sake, um, you know, if you're someone who was experiencing some of these power and control dynamics, maybe in your relationship and it's confusing, it's stressful, it's scary. You're not sure if that's what this is, but you just want to go talk to someone about it, just to see what is available. Um, they could walk into Porchlight and meet with one of our navigators. So the Porchlight navigation service is another critical component to our services. Um, and so they are kind of experts in the community. They're victim advocates that are experts in all of the different resources that we have in our community. So they know, um, you know, if the confidential shelter has shelter space currently. They're going to know if um, the legal team can take a referral or they're going to be able to kind of explain what resources are going to be applicable based on what that person needs. Because every single person and experience is going to be different and their needs are going to be different. Um, you know, so someone might come in and say, my only needs are I want to find some therapy support for myself and get some support with like finding some food. They can do that. Or someone might come and say, hey, I need help filing this police report. I want to talk to law enforcement and I need someone to help guide me through that. You know, they can do that there. So it, it's really guest driven. They get to decide what outcomes they want from visiting Porchlight. They can decide what they, you know, what their goals are. And then the navigators are there to support that. So if that means, hey, it sounds like you could really benefit. So, for example, 
let's say also one of the biggest barriers someone leaving is they have their pet with them, right? They say, well, they said, you know, my partner said if I was to leave them, they would harm the pet or that they're going to sue me for taking the pet or, you know, whatever that might look like, whatever threats may have occurred or whatever the fear might be. That person can bring their pet to Porchlight. And we have staff from Foothills Animal Shelter and the Better Together program, um, volunteers that are on site every day that can work with that guest um, to make a plan to keep their dog safe in that transition period until they can be reunited. Um, so they could walk in, meet with a navigator. That navigator would say, hey, let me go grab the volunteer from Foothills Animal Shelter, bring them into this guest room that we have, and they'll talk to you about what this is going to look like. And then while you're doing that, I'm going to go find someone to help talk to you about a protection order and what that looks like. And then all those services are brought to the guest in their own individual guest room. We have nine guest rooms that we call them um, that are just very comfy private spaces where folks can kind of take a breather and have all the services come to them. So you're not even going from different office to different office within the center. The guest kind of just gets that space while they're visiting. Um, so then kind of from there, it really depends on what that guest is looking for, what follow-up services they might need. Um, you know, they might return to Porchlight for ongoing therapy services. They might, you know, come back for a meeting. They might, um, you know, never come back. It really just, it might be a one visit and that they got the support they wanted and that's it. Um, but there's really no wrong way to seek support um, at Porchlight. Absolutely. Thank you for explaining that. I think that one of the most amazing parts of Porchlight is just how comforting and open it is to people and very non-judgmental. Um, so that's one of the things that impacted me the most when I heard you talk about it. So um, I just think it's amazing what you do. Um, kind of I know this is going to be so hard to sum it up, but I, I was hoping you could tell me how you feel you make a difference in your industry. Yeah. So I think, you know, kind of the difference that Porchlight makes in the victim advocacy realm is really just the, the comprehensive level of support um, that is provided there. So you know, for myself, um, being our development manager, I kind of didn't take a traditional development route. I, you know, was doing kind of, um, I was doing direct services with folks uh, prior to this work. And I was doing services here in Jefferson County. So I was working in the, uh, for Family Trees Legal Advocacy Program, a wonderful resource. At that time, back in 2017, we were housed in the courthouse. Um, we had a closet in like this tiny little room and there was four of us crammed in there. And, you know, we would really see kind of those same things I mentioned that Candace recognized where folks were having to come to the courthouse, but they had kiddos with them. So I would be holding a kiddo in the hallway while, you know, the other person was in there testifying for a protection order. And there was just so much added stress to the experience. And, you know, I feel like an old curmudgeon now, like saying, you know, now that we have Porchlight, like the, the way the services are provided is just so much more effective and comforting, even for the folks doing the work. Um, so I think, you know, bringing together all the, these partners and these groups that all have the same goal of keeping people safe, of wanting to have healthy relationships in our community, of wanting to see there be less harm done um, across the board um, to folks in these experiences are all doing, you know, the work under the same roof now. Um, which also allows us to collaborate a lot better. So one example of that um, is when we first opened, uh, we thought that the Family Tree team was able to support elder abuse survivors with protection orders. 
Um, and that was true if it was elder abuse in the context of an intimate partner relationship um, due to limitations of their grant funding. So when we opened, though, we had Seniors Resource Center, an amazing community partner that's on site, just like Foothills Animal Shelter is. Um, and they were cross-trained from the family tree team so they could do the advocacy around protection orders for cases where it wasn't intimate partner violence. So if it was, you know, perhaps an elder abuse case that involved a family member uh, that was, you know, harming an elder uh, member of the family or a neighbor or something like that, um, we're still able to provide that support to those elder abuse victims because of that collaboration. When you work together effectively in this work, I think it, it has positive outcomes for everyone. So not just the people doing the work, but the guests that we are there to support um, and the community at large. Absolutely. Well, I definitely think that's unique. So I'm glad that you pointed that out. So I was just hoping you could tell us what has been the most rewarding part of your work with your organization so far. Oh, goodness. Yes. Um, well, I the most rewarding part of being with Porchlight so far, I think, has been seeing the the hope that truly is in the center. Um, I think even just working there, it's just such a, a, an amazing environment of passionate folks that all are coming together to solve a really tough issue. And it's a really cool thing to be part of. Um, you know, I think it's fun to show up every day and have the ability to talk to people that do such different things. Um, you know, even just myself getting to know more about what a lot of our partners do has been so cool to say, what, like, I have been doing this work for, you know, a little bit, and I didn't even know that was an option. And it's it's very cool to see the way that um, all of the different organizations kind of morph uh, to the need in the community. So, you know, something comes up like when COVID happened, it was a dramatic shift in how services were delivered, but everyone was still committed to delivering them because we knew they were needed more than ever. Um, and so just to see how creative and resourceful a lot of our, our team um, and the nonprofits here, uh, the service providers um, can be is pretty cool. Absolutely. I'm sure it's easy to see the direct impact you have every day. So that's incredible. Well, what are some of the greatest challenges you face in your job? Yeah, you know, there are, I think there's three I can think of, but they're all somewhat related. Um, in the sense that I think, you know, it is, um, as you can tell by, by my little description I gave earlier, that it, it's a complex kind of model. Um, and so oftentimes it's really hard to accurately convey everything that goes on in the center and everything that is available there in just a quick, uh, you know, one or two minute spiel. Uh, we do our best to make that effective and succinct. Um, but really, you know, what I find is even for folks in my family that I've been talking to Porchlight about for five years now before it was even called Porchlight, um, you know, when they have had the chance to actually come in and tour the center, you just see this light bulb go off where it's like, oh, this is this is what this is. This makes so much sense. Um, but it's harder to do that when you're not there. And so I'm doing my best to to make sure that um, I do a good job of taking everyone on a, a, a verbal tour, if you will, um, but really love to give actual tours of the center um, as well whenever I can. So I'll definitely leave my contact info at the end uh, if folks are interested in that. But with that challenge of explaining, you know, kind of what we do, also fundraising is a big part of my role, making sure that we keep the lights on at Porchlight and that it's it's shining uh, for folks that need it. 
Um, and we just learned um, that the Victims of Crime Act or VOCA funding, which is something that not only Porchlight relies on, but so many, almost all of our community partners and victim service providers rely on um, for funding, um, we found out that's going to be cut by 40%. Um, in the coming year. So we are, you know, definitely trying our best to diversify the ways that we um, can keep our services available to folks. So, um, you know, we're shifting towards trying to find more individual donors. We're shifting, you know, to try and find more creative strategies um, in lieu of, of this coming up. Um, but we also are just worried for all of the services in the community as well, um, removing such a, a large piece of that funding for really critical services. So, that is something on the horizon and, you know, kind of ties into just being able to effectively explain our model as well. Absolutely. Well, hopefully some outreach will help with that. And I definitely understand the challenge of like of trying to explain everything you do. So I I, I really wanted to give that um, that space for you to kind of walk people through the process. So I'm glad that we got to include that. Yes, me too. Thank you. Yeah. Well, obviously there's you cover a lot in your organization, so I'm sure there's many that you could talk about, but what is one common misconception about your organization or, or kind of just the industry in general that uh, that you could um, address? Yeah, I think well, this is a pretty, you know, I'm, I'm, I think speaking more to a common misconception kind of with domestic violence in general um, is one of the more common things that we hear, which is, why don't they just leave? Um, you know, why does, okay, this person is treating you like this, like go. And we see that reaction in folks and, you know, it doesn't always come from a negative place, but also it's so important to really understand the gravity of the situation folks can be in. Um, you know, there's often things that we can't understand about what might be going on for them or why they're choosing to stay, or it might not be safe for them to leave. It might, they might not be ready. There might be, you know, a whole slew of reasons why leaving isn't an option. Um, one example that I think is really powerful that my, uh, that our executive director Candace has mentioned before, she's like, you know, typically if you are, you know, choosing to leave a job, there's a lot of thought that goes into that. There's a lot of planning. There's a lot of, okay, am I going to find a new job? Am I going to, how am I going to budget for this reduction in income? And what is, you know, what is that going to look like? You know, that's a, a decision that takes a lot of thought. Um, you know, a lot of planning and, you know, you know, especially if you're in a, a marriage with someone, have kids with someone, have a life with someone, that, that's a lot to figure out quickly. Um, so, you know, oftentimes we, we just really want to challenge that misconception that it's a simple choice to just leave a situation like that. Um, you know, really just focus on being empathetic for the experience of every individual and knowing that they are the experts of their situation um, and get to choose when and how to seek the support that they want, um, which really ties in exactly to, you know, what we seek to do at Porchlight is be a, a place for them when they are saying, yes, I, I want this support or I, I need some support that they can come to um, and not feel alone. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that's super important. It's just so it's almost impossible to understand unless you're in that situation. So I'm glad that that you mentioned that. Well, this could go in many directions as well. So take it however you would like. But what is just one lesson your organization has taught you so far? Oh, gosh, that is a that is such a 
good question. And I know I, I'm making you boil it down. <laughs> I like it. I like it though. Um, you know, if, if I really have to to sit and look at it, I think really uh, it's something that when I first kind of got involved in volunteering, even, you know, when we just, it was called the Jefferson County Family Justice Center TBD. Um, you know, we didn't know it was going to be called Porchlight yet or anything like that. And it, going to, I was able to attend a uh, conference, that same conference in 2018 in San Diego um, that I mentioned that Candace had attended once upon a time. And that's kind of when I was introduced to the the concept of hope as it relates to folks who had traumatic experiences. Um, so there's this, there's a, uh, a study um, that was done on hope. And, you know, I'm definitely paraphrasing here. There's folks that can speak to this much more eloquently than, than I can. Um, but really overall, the ability for someone to have hope in their life is one of the best predictors for um, overcoming adversity and trauma. Um, so believing that things can get better, that you have agency to make things better um, and really just seeing what that truly means and really, you know, kind of being able to step back even from my role and just, you know, as a human thinking about, you know, what does hope look like? What does that mean? And I think Porchlight for me has just been such a good example of that. Everything at Porchlight kind of is, is hopeful. You know, it it's providing resources for times that feel really dark when you feel like there is no way out, there is no hope. Um, and so that that's, you know, that's really what we are trying to do. And, and I see it not only just in the services that we provide, but I also see it just in our staff and our team. We have a really amazing group of folks there that, that have uh, really had a big impact on me. So very grateful for, for all those folks at Porchlight as well. Of course. I love that. Thank you for explaining that to us. Well, I, I kind of wanted to start talking about the future a little bit. Do you have anything you're currently working on that you're very excited about and want to share? Yeah, I do. I think there's a few things that have been really exciting in the last little bit at Porchlight. Um, number one is that we are growing a little bit. So I had mentioned earlier that we were able to hire on um, three new positions, which brings our team to a total of eight folks. Um, we were five and now we're eight, uh, which is wonderful because we have seen the need increase. Um, our numbers have just gone, continued to go up. Um, and so, you know, we definitely needed more support and more, more folks uh, on, on deck. So um, we have grown recently adding a new navigator. So now we have three navigators on our team, uh, an extra front desk person and then myself. Um, and then, you know, we also have added some new partnerships on site, which we are really excited to have. Um, one of the, the huge partnerships that we have at Porchlight is with the Jefferson Center for Mental Health. So they provide, um, tons of different resources in the community, but at Porchlight, they provide specific support for counseling around folks who've experienced trauma and for kiddos um, that have experienced trauma and violence. Um, they have a child navigator, um, all sorts of wonderful tools for families that are going through some of these situations. Um, and so they have grown on site. So we started with one person doing that. And now I think we have a team of, I want to say six uh, Jefferson Center folks on site. We even had to build them a new office. Um, so in the last uh, couple months, we've completed that construction, added a new child therapy office. Um, and then also another great partnership that has come um, in the last couple months. Um, as of July, we have the Rocky Mountain Victim Law Center um, that is going to be on site as well. 
Um, so they are a wonderful resource for folks who are navigating, um, you know, common things that might come up either, either in the civil or criminal side of things um, that have been crime victims. Um, so they are a new resource that we have on site. So we're so excited to have that resource for folks too. Okay, great. And do you have any opportunities for volunteers for anyone who might want to get involved? Yeah, we do. Um, we have, uh, you know, Porchlight, like I mentioned, we have a team of eight and a 16,000 square foot center with, um, you know, it's a team of eight Porchlight staff, but usually we have between, I don't know, 20 to 80 people there at any given moment. So it takes a, a lot of folks to make the center run every day. So we do have opportunities to volunteer. Um, on our website, there's a volunteer application. Um, and it kind of depends on on what capacity folks are looking to volunteer in. Um, you know, we do have a more rigorous um, kind of advanced volunteer role that would be um, kind of go through some significant training um, and then could serve uh, time at the front desk, um, supporting folks in that way. Um, but then we also have other volunteer roles at events or fundraising events that come up. Um, you know, we can have folks that volunteer to help fundraise um, in their communities or do things like that. Um, and then we also have um, volunteer opportunities just to help with kind of maintenance or things around the center, you know, when doors break or painting a wall, things like that. So if anyone is interested in volunteering, um, we're happy to chat with you more about that. And we have um, some information on our website, um, porchlightfjc.org. Okay, great. And then is that the best way to find your organization? Um, I was going to give you the opportunity put to put any, um, or I guess, um, say any links that you have here, any social media, um, and just the best way to find your organization. Yeah, yes. I Every time I get a new like on Facebook on Porchlight's page, I get an email about it. And I get very excited. So <laughs> I definitely encourage anyone to follow us on social media. We are on Facebook. We are on Instagram. Um, all of our social media links can be found on our website. Um, we also have a link tree, which is really handy. It kind of has all the easiest things to click, which is just linktr.ee slash porchlightfjc. So everything is pretty much porchlightfjc. Um, and you can find us at porchlightfjc.org as well. Okay, perfect. Um Kind of wrapping up a bit, I'm we've made it to my cheesy question, but I always try to leave it on a high note. So what is your best tip for making the world a better place? Oh goodness. Um yeah, I there I would say is no wrong way to make the world a better place. Um, but one thing that resonates with me significantly, um you know, it was a, a couple of years ago when I was going through a hard time in my life and one of my my mentors in the field um, just kind of sat me down and said, you know, you have to find what brings you joy. Um, and then in order to give joy to other people, you have to find yours. Um, and, you know, it took me a while to truly resonate on that and figure out what she meant. And um, then it clicked one day, you know, just finding joy in those little moments. So whether it's, you know, just enjoying the moment of taking your dog on a walk in the park or, you know, lunch with a friend or something. Um, just finding those moments of joy is so important um, and then allows you to provide that to others. Absolutely. I think that's great advice. I, I always enjoy, people think it, it seems straightforward, but I think having the little reminders um, to think about those things is uh, super important. So, Absolutely. <laughs> Okay, awesome. Well, what are some of the biggest things you're looking forward to in the future? 
Yeah, you know, I, uh, we have a lot of exciting things. I, I think um, one kind of immediate thing is the Colorado Gives Day. So I know a lot of nonprofits in Colorado are participating, but it's a very cool um, opportunity for folks if they are going to donate or have an interest in donating. It's a great time to do it. Um, there's a lot of added incentives from community partners, a lot of, um, you know, extra matching grants that are going on through Colorado Gives Day. So that's an exciting thing that we are doing all the way through um, the beginning of December. Um, so more information on coloradogivesday.org for that. So that's kind of one big push that we have going on. Um, and I think the other thing, you know, on more of a, a, a higher level that I'm looking forward to is really just seeing the way Porchlight evolves. You know, I think we've only been open since February of 2021. And even since then, we've added a bunch of partners, we've built rooms, we've changed spaces around, we've kind of, you know, edited how we do certain things that as we've learned and, and developed and grown. And so I just can't wait to see what it looks like in, you know, a year from now, five years from now, because I'm, I think it's going to continue to grow and develop um, uh, as we as we continue to do this work. Absolutely. Well, I'm so excited for you. And I know you have a lot of people really excited about all the work that you do. So I, I'm so happy to hear that. And I can't wait to see how you grow. Well, what is the best way for our listeners to support you and to support Porchlight? Yeah, you know, I think there's, like I said, there's really no wrong way to support Porchlight as well. Um, just talking about Porchlight is huge like we would love for everyone to to know about porchlight in the community um so you know talking to people about it just sharing our you know information going to our website anything like that helps um, of course we always uh, appreciate uh donations um we are a 501c3 nonprofit, um and you know are always um very grateful for anyone who is able to contribute financially which we know is is you know, difficult to do for a lot of folks right now, especially, but we are always very grateful for anyone that can support financially um, as well. Um, and just continue to be a champion for um, the causes that we support, you know, um, animal welfare, domestic violence, um, sexual violence, all of these things, just learning more about them, learning how you can be an advocate in your everyday life for folks that have these experiences is also really important. Absolutely. Okay, great. Well, is there anything you'd like our audience to know that I haven't thought to ask you? I do have a few things that I thought I would just share um, that if it, I was trying to think of a clever name for it and I couldn't come up with one, but kind of the most uh, surprising things that you will find at Porchlight that folks might not know about yes. um, that we have on site. So a, a couple of things um, that we have on site that that really, uh, I think, speak to the level of thought that went into opening the center. Um, we have a salon on site. Um, so it has a full kind of hair setup. Um, and we have a team of volunteer hair care stylists that donate their time and product. So if someone is preparing for a big, you know, moment in their case, if they have a hearing coming up or just need a little confidence boost um, and need to make that choice of what they want their hair to look like, uh, they can come get that service for free at Porchlight um, through one of our, our uh, volunteers that will do that. Um, we also have free on-site childcare. So that is huge. We have this amazing childcare room. Um, we partner with thriving families to have someone in there 40 hours a week to provide drop-in childcare. So if someone is trying to navigate all these services, rather than lug their kids around on a bus or in a car for that long, um, they can bring them to Porchlight where they can be in our childcare space playing on the switch or playing with blocks or with 
any of the other cool things we have in there. Um, and then we also have a sensory room, which is very cool. Uh, it is a something that we developed in partnership with the ARC, which is an on-site partner that provides support to folks with intellectual and developmental disabilities. Um, and so it is primarily designed um, with the intention of supporting folks who experience autism. Um, so if they uh, need services at Porchlight, this room has um, weighted blankets, it has really cool bubbles on the wall, it has this tubes and these, this lighting, it's very hard to explain, um, but it's a very calming space, um, very sensory. There's a lot of things that were very thoughtful and intentional about making that space accessible. Um, and it's also a great resource just for anyone who maybe needs to decompress after a stressful situation at Porchlight as well. Um, so I always like to mention those fun things that we have at Porchlight, um, just really to show the, the comprehensive level of support that, that we do have available. Yes, absolutely. I'm so glad you threw that in. Obviously, there's those are the kinds of things where it's like you you wish that you could just be there and see it because um, there's no great way to to kind of put that in there. So I'm glad that you threw that in at the end. Absolutely. I am glad I could mention that. Um, you know, and the last thing to just to kind of touch on that child care note already at Porchlight. So in 2022, um, we had a total of um, 450 kids in child care. And already as of October numbers, um, we had 656 kids come through childcare. Um, and the numbers, all of our numbers across the board, um, total visits at Porchlight has already exceeded 2022, um, as has our phone calls, appointments, and we're pretty close on our walk-ins as well. So we are continuing to see the need increase. Um, so, um, you know, we're grateful that folks that need support are finding it with us, um, but also we have a lot of work ahead of us too. Yeah, wow, that's incredible. Clearly, the the need is there. And just as you get the word out, more people are just realizing that you have the services. So the work that you do is just amazing. And I'm so glad that we got to talk today. And hopefully, more people can learn about Porchlight through the podcast. Well, we are just incredibly grateful for you inviting us to be on today. Um, you know, as I mentioned, one of the ways to support Porchlight is by letting folks know about us. And this is just such a great platform to do so with folks who are also doing work that overlaps with us. So um, thank you so much. And thank you to your listeners. Yes, absolutely. Thanks for joining me today, Brandon. Absolutely. Take care. That was such an inspiring interview. I learned so much and I hope you did too. If you were moved as much as I was and want to support this amazing organization, please visit our website at theanimallawfirm.com and check out our merch page as all profits from merchandise go towards supporting the guests on the show. Or follow the links to donate to this organization directly. If you want to support the podcast, please share us on social media and give us a five-star review. Anything helps. Thanks again for tuning in. Until next time, fellow underdogs.